Every farmer knows even a small fox can kill an enormous crop. Most our lives veer off track in the very same way. Something small sabotages us. What if we could catch and corral these little foxes before all the damage is done? Little foxes. Little foxes, little foxes. As Frankie mentioned, we are wrapping up our uh, month-long series, Little Foxes. Uh, good morning to all of you here that are in person and those who are watching us online. Uh, we want to thank you for coming out and uh, sharing a little bit of your time with Jesus today with us uh, here at Southwood Santa Clarita. My name is Efren Pena. I am the campus pastor here uh, at this campus. We are uh, uh, one church with uh, many campuses and uh, we are so glad that you're uh, here with us this morning, and we hope that you enjoy your time with us and that God grabs a, uh, a hold of your heart and takes you on an incredible journey uh, this, this morning. And so uh, uh, if you were out last week uh, for Father's Day, um, the world is right again uh, because my wife came home. Uh, <clears throat> I know that's not a big thing to you, but uh, it is for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, for those for that person that clapped, man, thank you uh, for that. But the world is right. The wife is home, and 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 it, she restores order uh, in, in my world. And uh, I was excited. She she spent a, a few more uh, extra days getting a little bit crispier uh, on the island, uh, getting attacked by mosquitoes. Uh, and uh, she, she said that it was enjoyable, but uh, uh, the bites on her legs prove otherwise. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, she was missed, and all, uh, all my little girls are home. And we even had a plus one now. We came back with another child. <laughs> Pray for me. We added a boy. No, no, you're not pregnant. Yes, no, no. Those, whoo! Uh-oh, <laughs> Uh, on that note, no, we are not pregnant. However, I did, uh, I did, I was watching last week's message and I realized that at 1030 service, I did not make that incredible announcement. Uh, and so I'm going to do it today. Uh, Chanel and Aaron are with child. And, uh, and we are growing the church. The best way we know how. The pastor has closed his factory and now the, the rest must produce. Uh, be fruitful, the Bible says. And uh, no, but uh, we brought my nephew back. And uh, can I say, uh, I, we've never had a boy living with us before except me. I was the only man in the house. And I had certain privileges that were just offered to me or taken by me. So now that there's another man or a young fella in the house, it's just weird for everyone. Like, like, like how you tell them to do stuff. Like, he's, he's eight years old. And he's, he's self-sufficient. He's self-sufficient. He knows how to plug, plug in his phone, his chargers. He does all that. He wakes up super early, like before the rest of the house does. It's incredible how much he's like his father. I'll be you watching. You have raised a great young man. Um, 
But uh, in the Pena house, we sleep in a little bit later. So all I said was, don't, don't you dare come into the room. That's all I ask. No, but it is, it is, it is a joy uh, to have him uh, with us. And um, it's, actually, it's kind of cool um, because he is he's a trip. He's hilarious. Anyway, we're going to jump right into uh, the last part of our series uh, as I mentioned, we are wrapping up the little foxes, and uh, over the last several weeks, we've talked about, uh, we've repeatedly said that we need to pay attention to these little things, like these little disturbances, these little nuisances, that, especially the ones that are so cute, uh, the ones that are, that, that are harmless, right, uh, or seem harmless because they can have a much larger negative impact an effect over time than we think is possible. So it's those little things that we kind of just sweep under the rug, the little things that we just let go by without paying attention or addressing it that will cause us the biggest harm, just like a little fox in uh, when he goes uh, through the fields. And so our last and final fox that we're going after is the fox of squandered resources. The fox of squandered resources. Let me ask you this. You ever had a time where you went to the doctors, whether that was to, uh, to see a physical therapist, a sports medicine doctor, or maybe a massage therapist, and you say, hey, doc, man, this is what is wrong. This is the, the pain that I am feeling, right? This is the discomfort that I'm going through. And, and it turned out uh, that that pain that you're experiencing is actually from something somewhere else in your body, Right? The pain that you're going through, the pain that you have right now, the doctor says it is due to something totally different. And you're looking at him like, did you actually get a degree to tell me that stuff? Because that doesn't make any sense. How could one thing be connected to the other, right? It doesn't make sense. For me, uh, I, I, I was getting a pain at, at the top of my neck. And I was like, man, I did everything I could. I was massaging it. I was trying to put heating pads on it. I was trying to figure out, man, this pain in my neck, what's going on with it, right? And it turns out that it was due to an old injury that I had with my Achilles tendon. If you don't know what the Achilles tendon is, that little thing in the back of your leg that connects your calf muscle to your foot so you can control it, Right? And that little tendon that I ruptured, that I, that, I, that, I, that, that I tore, right, was causing me some issues, right? It was causing me some issues. The lack of proper rehab led to a weakness in the calf muscle, right? And that weakness in the calf muscle led to a limp to overcompensate the weakness that I had in that muscle. And that threw off my femur bone that was connected to the socket, my hip socket. And because my hip socket wasn't aligned or properly in place, that caused a misalignment to my spine. And the misalignment in my spine, like my knee bone connected, you that story? Well, that misalignment in my spine was causing me to walk a different way, causing a lot of stress to the upper portion of my shoulder or the lower portion of my neck. And you see how, how like, that's how my neck pain was connected to my Achilles tendon. And in my mind, I would have never connected the two. I would have never connected that something at the very bottom of my feet or of my body was, was ha- or ha- had to deal or do with the pain that was connected at the very top of my body. 
And part of the reason for that is because we are constantly being pulled towards seeing things as being disconnected, as separated from each other, right? One thing doesn't have to do with the other. Now, there's a a moment in the Old Testament where God has a conversation with his people, right? And his people are the Israelites, right? And similar to, he has this conversation uh, similar to the ones that we have with our doctors. God began connecting the dots between two individual things that people thought were disconnected. And like me, it took them a while to understand what one thing had to do with the other. It took these people a while to understand what God was trying to say and how that could be possible. So in this part of scripture that we'll be referencing today, right, it'll explain why it's going to explain a little bit about the Israelites, what they were doing, how they were doing it, and what they needed to do about it. Malachi chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 says, This is God speaking. He's speaking to his people and it says, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And so God is saying, man, that that they're asking the question, man, how, how do you, why would you say that God? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Hello. One thing doesn't have to do with the other. And God said, yeah, you, you know, should people cheat God? Because the truth of the matter is you are cheating me. And like us, they came to believe that the different parts of their life were disconnected. But listen here, church. God is always trying to point us towards the exact opposite. God is always trying to point us to the fact that everything is connected. Everything is connected. Right? And so they're not playing dumb in the scripture. If you go back to read it and, and start for verse 1, they're not playing dumb. They generally don't know what God is talking about, at least at first. Up to this point, Israel was becoming disillusioned about the prospects of being renewed, right? Because they were promised to, to get to the land flowing with milk and honey. They were promised the, the promised land that they were going to be there. They were going to enjoy it. They were going to live a certain way, but their actions, their decisions in life kind of led them a different path. And so they were beginning to be disillusioned about the prospects of renewed freedom and the glory for the nation. They could tell that something was was off in their lives, but they don't necessarily know what what is off and why it's off. And maybe you've probably experienced that before as well. Like, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. Man, I, I feel this anxiety. I just don't know how to pinpoint. I don't know why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. I don't know why this is happening to this, but I know that something is wrong. And you can't make that connection. You don't always know where it's coming from, but you do know that somewhat something is wrong, Right? You may be somewhat aware uh, of that something is off, but you're having trouble putting your finger on it, connecting the dots, if you would, right? That why things are off and why you feel the way that you do. Anybody ever been there before? Man, I, I'm feeling a certain way. I just don't know why I feel that way. And so in this story, God clues the men to what's going on. Let's continue to read in verse 8. 
It says, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Now, before you go start having a panic attack talking about that Pastor E, Pastor E said, I'm going to hell because I'm not tithing. Well, that might be, no, I'm just kidding, right? God's going, you know, God's going to reject me. He's going to send me to the pit of hell, right? Because I am not tithing, and, and that's not what we're talking about here today. Listen up, right? This scripture is, is aimed at a specific group of people during a specific time for a specific reason. Right? He is speaking directly to this particular group based upon their decisions that were happening at this precise moment in time, right? And so I want you to take a step back this morning and get some context to what's going on and look at what God is saying to them because there's something really important for us today in this conversation that he has with the Israelites. So let's start off with a couple of definitions. The Bible says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me, right? The word cheated. Let's define that, right? Cheating is bending the rules to get what you want but doesn't belong to you. Bending the rules to get what you want that actually doesn't belong to you. Right? So he's saying, man, you have bent the rules to get what you wanted but actually didn't belong to you, that you had no right owning it, attaining it. It seems like God has a different definition of what it means to waste or squander our resources. He calls it cheating. And I find it very interesting that that word is used in this scripture. It could have said, you have squandered the resources. It could have said, you've wasted the resources. No, it says, you cheated me from the resources. Think about that for a second. And then he talks about the tithes. So let's, let's define that. Maybe you've never heard the true definition of what is a tithe. So let's define that. A tithe is a set percentage, 10% of produce and livestock given to God through a local spiritual community to meet the needs and better the lives of others. Right? That's what a tithe is. A set percentage, 10% of what you earn in this case, at that time, it was their produce. It was their livestock, right? It was their cattle. It was their farming, right? Whatever it is that they earned, 10% of that given back to God through the local spiritual community, which a.k.a. is the church, in order to meet the needs of the people within that community. But where does this come from? Right? 
Where does this come from? And at this point, it had to, it, 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 it had to have been a, an expectation, right? It actually had been an expectation for a long, long time because now I'm going to give you some, a couple of scriptures that you can reference and you can study on your own, but I'm going to quickly go through them, right, where this came from. Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 23, talks about the command to tithe, putting God first. And it says, making an offering of 10%, a tithe of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year. Bring this into the presence of God, your God, at the place he designates for worship. And there eat the tithe from your grain, your wine, and oil, and the firstborn from your herds and flocks. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God, your God, as long as you live. In other words, when you do that, you will learn to honor God. You will learn that God is the ultimate provider. Then in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 to 29, it talks about the tithing for the needs of others. And it says, at the end of every third year, gather the tithe of all your produce of that year and put it aside in storage. Keep it in the reserve for the Levite who won't get any property or inheritance as you will. And for the foreigner, the orphan, the widow who live in your neighborhood. That way they'll have plenty to eat and God, your God, will bless you in all of your work. So, when we give, it meets a need, and at the same time, God blesses us. Okay, let's read a little more. Nehemiah 13, verses 10 and 12, tells us how the tithing works. It says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all of the people of Judah began bringing their tithe and grain, new wine and olive oil to the temple storerooms. In other words, when we do not give, they causes a chain reaction and things do not get met. They, it causes a disharmony, if you would, right? Church, the practice of tithing was designed to teach us a principle. And the principle was that what God gives us is never just for us. What God gives us is never just for us. When you go get that paycheck, when you go get that deposit in your account, and you look and say, ah, all is well. God is saying, oh, yeah, all is well because I've provided this. But all will not be well if we do not use it for its intended purpose, which is to bless others. And in this passage, God is telling these people that their inability, he's telling the Israelites in, in their inability to grab onto this, to grab, grab this principle through this practice somehow has cursed them. Their lack of obedience, their lack of understanding, their lack of, of grabbing onto this and applying it has somehow cursed them. So let's define that, right? We define what, what a tithe is. We would define what cheating is. Let's define a curse. A curse is the ongoing natural negative consequence of an unwise decision or an unwise action. In other words, something is going to happen that's not going to work in your favor as a result of your 
ill decisions. So in essence, what God is saying is, man, I've, I've designed things to work a certain way. And when you decide to live in denial of that way, the way I've designed things to flow, you will experience consequences that you're not going to like. It's not me doing something to you. It's actually something that you are doing to yourself. Because we're so quick to say, oh, God has not blessed me. God has not rained upon what he said he would do for me. And we fail to see the connection that how we live our walk, how we choose to live our relationship with Jesus has a direct correlation to what happens in our life. But why does, why does God take personal offense to this? Right? Because God is saying, man, you cheated me. You cheated me. If we're technically cheating our community by not giving of our tithe, right, because we have to bless others and what we're bringing in is not just for us, it's for others, then technically we're cheating our community. Why does God say, you are cheating me? This isn't the only time that God says something like this. In Matthew 25, verse 42, he says, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you thirsty? When were you a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. When we refuse to help others, what we're refusing or what we're actually doing is saying no to helping God. Woo! I don't know about you, but I break a sweat when I think about that. I don't know if you've ever said no to God before. So apparently, whether or not we use our resources to meet the needs of others is directly connected to our relationship with God. In both of these passages, it's as if God is saying, man, I gave to you so that you can help me take care of my family but you hoarded your resources. You locked the door on your resources. You, you kept them in for yourself. And not only did that hurt the community, but it hurt me. It hurt me that you would hoard the very resources that I have blessed you with. I don't know, but you should be uncomfortable right now, some of you. I'm just saying. Right? Now, this isn't a new conversation. You have heard this before. It's a little fox that's been around from the very beginning. Like us, people throughout history, human history, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, have struggled at different times, have struggled with what God was saying and resisted what he was trying to teach them. But those who did always lacked fulfillment and could never figure out why. 
those who decided to say no to God was always missing something. Something was out of place. Something was missing, and they couldn't understand why. Why they were feeling the way they were feeling. Malachi 3, verse 10b says, I will open, oh, excuse me, but notice in Malachi that God explains that anyone who embraces what he is saying and puts it into practice will experience something else. What will they experience? Malachi 3.10 says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. I think of the smallest room in my house. That's my closet that I share with my wife. I get two bars here, here. She gets here, 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 down there. The smallest room in my entire house. And when I read this scripture, I, says, I think about it. Man, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And I imagine myself having a closet for myself. That's just an incredible feeling for me. Like literally I can have place for my shoes, my sneakers, you know, my, I don't have to double, anybody have double up their pants? I got to because I got no room in the closet. Babe, don't look at me that way. But I imagine this incredible feeling that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that I cannot contain it. Again, I think a basic definition is helpful here. What is the blessing? What is this blessing that they're talking about? I think it's defined as you will experience fulfillment when, when your efforts will flourish. Again, back to my closet. The closet is my right? To walk in and, and all my shirts on one side, all my pants on one side, all my sneakers on this side, and all my bags on one side, right? All the space. I got to put stuff in the, in, the, in the garage by seasons because that space is just not enough. Okay, she says, stop. I must move on. Right? In other words, you're not going to feel better. You're not just going to feel better. You're going to be better and do better. And to drive home this point, God gives an invitation he doesn't make anywhere else in Scripture. He says in Malachi 3.10c, he says, try it and put me to the test. Try it and put me to the test. How come restaurants don't do that? How come restaurants don't say, hey, try the food. If you like it, you buy it. If you don't like it, you don't, you don't do it. How come they don't do that? Right? Nowhere else does anybody say, hey, try it. Put it to the test. God is saying, try it and put it to a test. Let's define test, right? An experiment to prove an idea by putting it into action, putting it into play. When you put it all together, all three of these sections, the verse is basically telling us when you prioritize God and practice giving a set percentage of what you produce to meet the needs and better the lives of others through your spiritual community, your life will be fuller and better. How many of y'all want a bigger closet? 
Amen. Thank you. Three men. Three men raised. The rest of you, I don't know what kind of closet, but speak to my wife. Maybe you can help her get me some more space. Right? I think we all want to experience a fuller and better life. And if you don't, you're lying. Because we all want to feel this incredible experience where God says, man, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you. As Chanel sang today, more than you can ever imagine. More than you can ever contain. Right? In abundance. Unfortunately, these words often get twisted. This wasn't God saying, man, if you throw me a bone, man, I'll make you rich. That's not what God was saying. Actually, what he's saying is, man, I designed you and life to work a certain way. And when you live in harmony with what I have planned, with how I have designed your life to be, life itself will be fuller, more vibrant, and more abundant for you. But if you don't, if you don't choose to live the way I've designed life to be, then there will be this harmony of falling out in your life and in your soul that will never, ever get resolved. You may have more stuff, but you'll feel bankrupt. You'll feel empty. You'll feel like you're missing out because, in fact, you are. And this idea is all over Scripture. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. In other words, it grows both deep and wide. Deep and wide. Your community gets bigger and you feel a deeper connection with those that you help. Because the truth of the matter is contributing to our community connects us with our community. When we give, we, you, you allow the church for God to do incredible things within its community. You allow us to meet the needs of the people inside of the church. You allow us to meet the needs of people outside of the church. People that won't ever come into the church. You allow us to bless the teachers across the street. You allow us to bless the teachers in our own preschool. You allow us to bless people that you may never ever have met in this city. You allow us to go bless people in other countries. Your investment in a community changes your perception of that community. Right? When you go to a hotel room, you get in there, woo, you jump on the bed, right? You take your towel, you use it, you throw it on the floor, turn on the water, brush your teeth, and that thread is running and running. You go out, go look out the window, woo, come back, that water is still running, right? But you don't do that in your house because that's where your investment is. Pick up your towel. That's what my wife says. Not to me, to the kids. Right? Pick up your towel. Don't let the water run. Turn off the lights. We did an Airbnb in Puerto Rico, and we left that bad boy AC on. We left for hours. Came back. I wanted to come to a cool house. Right? Because my investment is in my house. Behaviors flow from our beliefs, church. 
This is the indictment in Malachi. God is saying to the people, your behavior doesn't appear to match your beliefs. That's what he's telling the Israelites. Your behavior, the the way you are going about living your life doesn't match up with your beliefs. And you don't even seem to be aware that they don't match up. You're walking around here with your head cut off. Like chicken little, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And you don't have no faith in this, right? And notice what happens when we ignore this little fox. Verse 13, you have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? Wow. In other words, who needs God? What's the benefit of it? Folks, in a nutshell, when we choose not to follow through, it would skew how we see ourselves. It would change our perception of the world around us, and it would change our perception of God. My wife and I are constantly teaching our kids every good and perfect gift comes from his hands. Mom and dad may have bought it. You may have worked for it. But at the end of the day, every good and perfect gift that you have comes from his hand. Make no mistake about it. The roof over your head, the clothes on your back, the food on the table, the gas in your car comes from him. If we choose not to follow through with how he designed us to live in this world, to live out our lives, we will see things in a jacked up way. Faith will then become transactional. Imagine that. Faith becomes transactional. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. God becomes a vending machine. We put in what we think he requires and expect him to give us what we want in return. And if he doesn't, we question his goodness. We question his, his, does he even exist? Does he even love us that he wouldn't give us that Bentley? We question the fact that he didn't give us the 12-room house when we only needed two. Let me wrap this up, church. I think it's hard for us to hear this, but the truth is that whatever you would willingly walk away from God for, not giving it to you, will become your God. Whatever it is that you're willing to to give up God because he didn't give it to you, will eventually become your God. Well, God, you didn't give me that house. Oh, God, you didn't give me that car. God, you didn't give me that job. God, you didn't give me that, that, that person. God, you didn't give me that wardrobe. God, you didn't give me this. And because you didn't give it to me, I'm going to have to separate us. Because that's what I really want. And since I want it, then, then I guess that's what I'm going to worship. That will eventually become my God. 
Yes, it's hard to hear that, but that, in essence, is what we're saying, church. Let's call it for what it is. It's harder for us to hear these things. And this is what happens when we disconnect our values from God. Verse 15, it says, From now on we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Church, when our society, when our culture, when the people that we do life with, right, deprioritizes tithing, the byproduct is that we begin celebrating, admiring, respecting, and elevating those who achieve financial status by any means necessary, as opposed to those who live according to their values, regardless of their financial status. In other words, we put on platform for the world to watch and admire and be like. We don't care what shady thing you did to get it or what rules you broke or what laws you disregarded or what people you hurt or trampled on or what damage was done to the community along the way. What matter is that you have a lot of it and that's all that we care about. I admire you. I want to be just like you. I want to have the things that you have. This story in many ways is God saying the spiritual practice of tithing is a way of guarding your heart from ending up in that position. When we practice tithing, when we practice a heart of generosity, when we understand what tithing is, why is it good for us and the benefit for those around us, we begin to see and understand life on a total different level. So do you have to tithe? Because I know that's what you're asking. No, you don't have to do anything. Right? You don't have to tithe. If you don't tithe, will you go to hell? Not necessarily. Just check in. Will we shame you as a church, as South Hills Church? Will we shame you if you don't to- uh, tithe? Absolutely not. You've never got a phone call from me. I've never singled not one of you out. If anything, I've talked about me all of the time. As for me and my house, we will tithe. And not only we will tithe, we will tithe above and beyond because we believe that much in it. But do you think, Pastor E, should we tithe? Yes, 100%. Why? Because not tithing ends up being a little fox that's gnawing away at the fulfillment of your life. And like these ancient people, you might be thinking, well, that shouldn't, that, that shouldn't have anything to do with this. except that it does. Your Achilles tendon is connected to your neck bone. It does, church. Right? It's all connected. Practicing generosity produces peace. Practicing generosity produces joy. Practicing generosity produces hope and love. If like these people in this story, you're not experiencing peace, joy, love, 
Instead, you are experiencing anxiety, discomfort, loss of hope. Could part of it be that you're hanging on to everything that you've got with a closed fist as opposed to an open fist? Could it be that you see your resources that you've been given and blessed with as you earned it? It is yours, and you're going to do what's right for you. See, that's, that's what, a, what a closed fist is. That's what a closed fist feels like. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever held a closed fist long enough, it's become stressful. It begins to swell up your fingers and begins to cause a discomfort. The veins start popping out and eventually becomes tired. But when you live a life that's truly open-handed, there is no stress. There is no discomfort. And never gets tired of being open. But maybe you, maybe like them, you, you have a knee-jerk reaction to this. And you say, man, I don't think these two things are connected, Pastor E. And I want to tell you this morning, then why don't you test it? Why don't you test it? If you've never tested it before, why not try it today? Why not put it to the test? Take the 90-day challenge. We've done this before, and many people have jumped on and they've begun giving, and they've seen it, seen it how it benefits. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing of it, and I want to explain it to you. The 90-day challenge is really simple. It takes the scripture of Malachi and says, you know what? The Bible says, God says to test him and see if he doesn't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing more than we could ever contain. So take the 90-day challenge, and the 90-day challenge is this. That you commit for the next 90 days, that's about three months, 12 weeks. If you get paid weekly, that's 12 times. If you get paid bi-weekly, that is six times. If you pay monthly, that is three times. 90 days that you would give God a tithe, a 10%. Not 2%, not 5%, not 9%, but 10%. A tithe of your income, everything that you bring in. And you say, Lord, before I give this to you, I'm putting you to the test. Your word says in Malachi 3.10 to put you to the test, to see if you don't come through and give us more than we can ever hold on to. And the challenge is this. This is where you get your money back guarantee that within 90 days, if you don't see God moving on your behalf and in your life, whether it be spiritually, physically, financially, if you don't see God moving in this area, in these areas of your life, come see me. Say, Pastor E, I don't, I took the 90-day challenge. I haven't seen God do not one thing for me. I won't even ask you any questions. I'll give you 100%. 
of what you have given, and I'll give it back to you. That's me. That's just dumb. Why would you do that? Because we at South Hills won't live with our fists tight. We won't live with our fists closed. We believe that what we have is because of God, because we serve a generous God. And when the people of God begin to give and live with an open hand, the needs within our church will always be met. So take the challenge if you've never tithed before. And maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Yeah, I do tithe. Then I want you to take a step further than take the challenge for your BOW. Give regularly to Beyond Our Walls. Because when you give to BOW, it allows us to open up more campuses throughout the world. It allows us to meet the needs in other campuses. A few weeks back, we decided to give to BOW so that we can bless our campus in South Africa so that they can have instruments to worship and speakers and sound system. And they are worshiping their hearts content out in Kenya because we chose to live with an open hand. So take the 90-day challenge, church. We're offering a money-back guarantee on what God is capable of doing.